Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for this day. Lord, we ask for your, your blessing and, the, and an outpouring of your Holy Spirit today, Lord, upon us. We need you. We need your grace. Help us to abide in you. Help us to look to you and love you and trust you and serve you. Help us to love one another. Help us to love those who are not a part of your kingdom yet, Lord, and the ones that you are calling to be a part of the kingdom. Lord, help us to love all mankind because, Lord, you yourself love all. You are perfect. You are great. You're awesome. You're wonderful. We praise your name. We thank you for this day and for your word and your scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. So from the opening pages of the Bible, if if you've read in the beginning of the Bible, you're familiar with the the tragic consequences of our sin and the, even the deadly consequences of sin. I know Travis asked you to open to John 15, but I'm, I'm going to ask you to, to uh, actually go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, all the way back to Genesis 3. And I want you to see from the beginning what are the deadly consequences of our sin. Sin happens any time that we do not follow or obey the commands of God. That's what it means to sin. It means to transgress, to trespass, to break a rule. And in Genesis 3, verse 22, we see the the tragic consequences. It says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, if you're not familiar with the story, what happened was God created the world and everything in it. And he gave one commandment. He said, do not eat from this certain tree that's in the midst of the garden where he had placed the man and the woman. And they did just the opposite. They they ate from the tree. And so here is God talking about the consequences for that sin. Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. See that? Lest he take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So man and and his wife, Adam and Eve, were banished from the garden of Eden. They were cut off from the tree of life. What happens when you're, when you're cut off from life? There's death. And brothers and sisters, every single word of every single sentence of every single book of the Bible from this point forward is to tell the story of God, how God is going to reverse that curse, how God is going to restore the way for man to once again eat from the tree of life. 
for us, for you and for me, who are sinners, who are destined to die, who are hopeless in and of ourselves. God has made a way for us to have hope and to reach out and to take from that tree of life again and to live forever. And that is the good news of the scriptures, that God has solved the problem of death, that he has opened the way once again to have restored relationship with him, that our sin can be removed, that we can have access to God again. All of the Old Testament scriptures are pointing forward to the coming of a savior. And he would save his people from their sins. As Nolan said in the opening call to worship today, he would save his people from their sins by becoming a substitute who would die in their place. See, when we sin, we deserve to die. And we have sinned grievously in our lives. And we deserve the consequences of that sin. But Jesus died in our place. That's the good news of the gospel. The Old Testament was pointing forward to the time when God would send a savior And when you get into the the pages of the New Covenant, specifically the Gospels, God tells you exactly what he did in order to break the curse of sin and death. And of all the Gospels, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. Of all those Gospels, the Gospel of John is unique. Because in the Gospel of John, we have a, 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 a special or a unique division in that Gospel. The final 10 chapters of the Gospel of John deal with the last week of Jesus' life leading up to the time when he would die on the cross and then be raised again and what happened after that. The last 10 chapters. So the book itself, the Gospel of John, is 21 chapters long. Almost half of the book is dedicated to one life or one week in the life of Jesus. Why is that? Why did John do that? And not only that, but did you know that of those 10 final chapters, five of those chapters were devoted to one long conversation that he had with his disciples? So think about the way the book is divided. You got John, final week of his life, 10 chapters. Five of those 10 chapters are all about this one conversation. What is Jesus talking about in those chapters? It must be very important if a fourth of the book is devoted to this one conversation. If you've ever seen a movie where there's a a scene in slow motion, why does the director of the movie do that? Why does he slow everything down so that you can see everything play by play, moment by moment? It's like watching a a, a prize fight. And and when the knockout punch comes, you know, they, they slow it down so that you can see in slow motion when that connection happens and the full effects of it. Right. That's what John is doing. In, in the final, in, in these chapters in his gospel. He's slowing everything down so that we can see play by play, instant by instant, what was happening because of its important. Or think about a movie. Think about a movie two hours long, but say there's a 20-minute conversation in that movie. And for, for 20 minutes of the movie, all of time slows down and it focuses on this one conversation. What does that tell you about that conversation? 
that, that something very important is being talked about. And that everything else in the movie is going to come back to that and tie into it in some way. So John chapters 13 through 17 are like this in John's gospel. It's, it's slow motion. It's play by play. It's a 20 minute conversation in the full length movie. We're supposed to, to, to focus on this. Something very important is happening in these chapters. And in the end, what Jesus is talking about goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. And how is God going to solve this problem of death invading the world and and taking life? Last week, we studied John chapter 15 in depth, and we studied what does it mean to abide in Jesus? Jesus gave an illustration of a vine and the branches. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. And he said that a believer must abide in his relationship with God. Just as a branch must remain connected to the vine. What happens if the branch is severed from the vine? Death, just like we saw back in the garden. Death, you're cut off from the vine of life. You're cut off from the tree of life. The branch will wither and die apart from the branch. Apart from the vine, the branch can do nothing. So we focused on John 15 last week, where the term abide is used 11 times. We talked about what does it mean to abide? It means to stay connected to God. It means to stay near to Christ. Stay near, stay close, don't leave. You want him to be in you and you want to be in him. You want to be one because when that happens, his life can flow into your life. It can give you life. So that's John 15. But today we're going to broaden out into the context and we're going to look at those final five cha- or those five chapters where we're seeing that all-important conversation between Jesus and his disciples. We want to see the broader context where where this, this story about abiding, this is just an illustration in the greater conversation. So what was the whole conversation about? We need to see that. And see how it relates to God solving our problem. So in John chapters... 13 through 17 that we'll look at today, we're going to see three themes that arise from the text that are abundantly clear. Three themes that will help us to understand our our purpose in this world. What is our purpose? I was was caught off guard this last last week when I was uh, talking with... uh, uh, a young man from Somalia. And I was talking to him about the gospel and I said, you know, through, through Jesus, our, our sins can be forgiven. He goes, well, then why are you still here? If all of your sins are forgiven, if they're all taken away, why are you here? See, from the point of view of a, a, of a Muslim, which this, this Somali man was a Muslim, from the point of view of a Muslim, the reason we're here is to do enough good things so that when this life is over, we can go to be with God. So if your sins are already all forgiven, why are you still here? I was caught off guard. 
<laughs> but I came back around to this principle of, hey, the reason I'm here is, is, is to abide. I'm here to be in relationship with God. That is my purpose. And we're going to see these, these, three, these three themes in John that point to our purpose. And Jesus circles around to these things over and over again. And I'll show you that. So here are the three themes that arise from these chapters. Number one, abiding or union with God. Abiding or union with God. Same idea. To abide is to be one with God. Secondly, we're going to see a theme of prayer. And thirdly, a theme of loving all mankind. Loving all mankind. So abiding or union with God, prayer and loving all mankind. These are the things that Jesus circles back around to over and over again in this passage. This all important conversation that goes back to Genesis 3 and solves the problem of death. How is it that we escape this fate? Number one. Abiding your union with God. Look with me at John chapter 14, verses 8 through 10. In John chapter 14, verse 8, Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. Show us the Father. And that is enough for us. That's all we want. Verse 9 says, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus says, I am in the Father. The Father is in me. Here's this theme that Jesus begins to talk about, this idea of being one with God. He speaks of being in the Father and the Father being in him or dwelling in him. In verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. See what he's saying? God is dwelling in him. He is dwelling with God. This is the idea of abiding. Look at chapter 14 now, verse 15 through 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you. So there's that dwelling, the same that that word could be translated dwelling, could be translated abiding. The, The Holy Spirit dwells or abides with you and he will be in you. Jesus said. 
So the Holy Spirit dwells with the disciples and will be in them. Drop down to verse 18. I'm going to go through verse 20 here. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. That's huge. Highlight that. Underline it. Because I live, you also will live. Remember back to the problem of death? Jesus says, here's the answer. I will live, you will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandment and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he goes on. You will live because I will live. In that day, verse 20, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Look at what he's saying. Jesus is in the Father. The disciples are in Jesus. And he is in them. So have you ever been to a wedding where they have the, the, the two jars of sand? One represents the husband and the other represents the wife. And then they pour the sand into, into a new jar. And then it all mixes together. This is the picture that Jesus is, is giving us here. This idea of, of one thing being in the other and the other being in the one thing. Everything becomes united. Or if you've ever seen like two, two liquids poured together and they... They create a new solution, this, this abiding solution. This abiding, this unity, this oneness, the two become one. They're now abiding together. Look at verse 23. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So here's an illustration of abiding, the father and the son coming to live with you. It's a picture of a family. You become a family together with God. That's what it means to abide, that God comes to live with you and you with him like family members who always live under the same roof together. Abiding. Chapter 15, four through six. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and it withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. You have to abide. See this theme over and over again. John 14, John 15. Here Jesus is giving the illustration that we talked about in depth last week of the vine and the branches. If in modern times, he, he might have given the illustration another way. For instance, if, if this was a modern parable, maybe he would have used an illustration like a lamp and a power outlet. Abide in me and I in you as the lamp cannot shine its light unless it's plugged into the power outlet. Neither can your light shine unless you abide in me. I am the power outlet. You are the lamp. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he lights up the whole room. For apart from me, the light cannot shine and the room remains in darkness. We must stay connected 
to the source of life, to the source of power. How is that possible through the Holy Spirit who was with the disciples and after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, he sent the Holy Spirit into the world so that upon believing in the Savior, the Holy Spirit would take up residence within you and you would be connected with God and you would have life and the power of the curse would be broken. The cycle would be broken. Look at John 17, 1 through 3. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. Ready for the definition? Now, if I asked you, what is eternal life? You might say, well, it's life that never ends, right? It's, 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 we're talking about a length of time that is just, it's unending. It's infinite. Eternal life. That's what it is, right? It's not how Jesus defines it. Look at what he says in John 17, 3. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You must know the Lord if you are going to have life. Life is in him. It is through him. You have to be in him. He has to be in you. Amen. This is eternal life that you would know the father and Jesus. It's knowing God in such a way that his life flows into you and makes you fully alive. It's the very essence of abiding. See, that's the transaction that happens as you abide in God. Life. The life connection. The life transaction. His life flows into you through abiding. That's the whole point of abiding. Not just in the mornings when you read the Bible, but all throughout the day. Apart from Him, you can do nothing. You must abide continually. Right? Look at John 17, verses 20 and 21. Jesus is praying still, and he says, I do not pray for these only, speaking of his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Hey, this is Jesus praying for Central Baptist Church right here. Those who would believe in the Son through the words of the apostles. That's you and me. Jesus is praying for us. What does he pray? Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Look at his prayer. His prayer is for us to be in God, with God, for God to be in us, for there to be union, for there to be a continual, a perpetual abiding. That's what Jesus prayed. To be, to abide is to be one with God. Do you see that? I pray that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe. Verse 23, I in them and you in me so that they may become perfectly one. When you abide in God, you become one with God and you become one with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Abiding, union, this is a, a repetitive theme. 
Brothers and sisters, could you have a greater purpose in life than this? What do you want to be when you grow up? Who cares? <laughs> this is what I want to do when I grow up. This is what I want to do all along. I want to abide. I want to be in relationship with God. That's what fills up your life with meaning and purpose and value and love and peace. Apart from God, you can do nothing. You have nothing that cannot be taken away at a moment's notice. Death will snatch anything good in this world that you're clinging on to. Besides the Lord, death cannot take that away. Experiences come and go. No matter how great something is in this world can make you feel, it cannot abide. Think about your experiences. You go on vacation. What do you think on vacation? I wish this would never end, but what happens? It comes to an end. What about that, that, that pleasure, that experience that you crave, that you seek after that high, whatever it is? What happens after you experience it? It's fleeting. It goes away. Experiences cannot remain. Jesus remains. Sin, the Bible says it's pleasurable for a season. But what does sin do? It deceives us. It leaves us with a hardened heart and a tortured conscience. And it has a terrible price tag. Sin will cost you your life. Look at what Jesus is offering you. It's exact opposite. Sin will cost you everything. Jesus says, come, come and be with me. Come abide in me. And I will give you life through relationship with the living God. It doesn't get any better than that. A second theme that emerges in John is, is prayer. Sammy, why are we going through these themes? Because I want us to see how we can have life and have it to the fullest. How we can have, have life and have it more abundantly. How we can have life as God intended us to have it in the Garden of Eden before we threw away our relationship with Him. God is showing us the way through abiding, through prayer. Look at John 14, verses 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. Jesus is saying, ask and it will be given to you. Ask in such a way that the Father might be glorified. Live in such a way that your fruit would remain. In verse 14, 
Find my place here in 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Verse 16. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. See the connection there between your fruit abiding and prayer. What do we pray? God, please help me. Please continue to supply my every need so that I can bear this fruit, so that I can love in this situation, so that I can accomplish your will, so that I can glorify your name. God loves to answer those kinds of prayers. Look at 16 verses 22 and through 24. John 16, verse 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. God answers our prayers. It fills our hearts with joy and relief. Joy is the feeling that you have when the tension breaks, when the child is born after labor. We go through many trials and tribulations, but God delivers us. He delivers us. And our joy overflows. See a prayer between, a connection between joy and and prayer. In chapter 17, we see the example of Jesus abiding in prayer. And what does Jesus pray for in this chapter? And does God answer his prayers? So again, in these chapters 13 through 17, we see an emphasis on prayer. Chapter 17 is an entire prayer by Jesus. I would call that emphasis. So what does Jesus pray for? In verses 1 and 5, he prays for his resurrection and ascension. Look at verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. What's he praying for? The father, the hour has come. The hour has come for what? He's going to die and then he's going to be glorified. How was he glorified? He was glorified. He was raised up from the dead. And then he was then he ascended to be with his father in heaven. So Jesus prayed, "Father, glorify your son." What does it mean to be glorified? It means to be lifted up and to be praised. See Jesus died on the tree. He humbled himself, but he was exalted by his father, raised. Jesus here praying that he would be raised and that he would be restored to his rightful place in heaven. Look at verse five. Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Restore me into your presence. Glorify me in your own presence. Jesus prays. 
Did God answer that prayer? He answered that prayer. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Jesus ascended into heaven. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. He's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He sent the Holy Spirit. He's building His church. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Jesus was glorified. Glorified. What else does Jesus pray for? Look at verses 11 and 12. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, his disciples. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. And not one of them is lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. Drop down to verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. What is Jesus praying for? The protection. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. Same idea that Jesus was praying to his father to protect his people. Did God answer that prayer? You think about the night of his betrayal, all of his followers scattered. Peter denied him three times, and yet Peter was restored. Peter was protected from despair, from taking his own life like Judas did. We see, as the, as the New Testament carries on, we see over and over again God protecting his people. He protects you. He protects me. Look at verse 17. What else does Jesus pray for? Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. He prays for the spiritual growth of his disciples. Does God answer that prayer? Yes. Absolutely. He answers that prayer for believers in the New Testament as they're sanctified. Even through suffering, even in the face of death, God refining their character. Growing them in maturity and in holiness. This is the prayer of Christ. What else does he pray for in verses 20 and 21a? I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they all may be one so that the world may believe. He prays for the unity of all believers. Did God answer that prayer? We see the disciples, they were constantly fighting to be in first place. But then they are broken. Then they are saved. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. We see the creation of the church. We see the unity of the church. In Acts chapter 2 and all throughout the book of Acts, the unity of believers. We see the unity of the church today. That this prayer is still being answered. Lastly, we see Jesus praying that his disciples would would be with him in the fullness of his glory. Look at verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, 
to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Jesus was returning to the Father. He was going to be restored to the fullness of his glory. Understand that when Jesus came into this world, his glory was veiled. It was made manifest at times, but the fullness of his glory was veiled in human flesh. But when Jesus returned to the Father, his full, the fullness of his glory was restored. And he prays here, I pray that you may be with me where I am so that you can see the fullness of my glory. Jesus prayed that. Has Jesus, has that prayer been answered? Yes. Many times over, think of all the saints that have gone on before us. Where are they right now? They are in glory. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, to see him as he is. This prayer of Christ was answered. Prayer is a primary means of abiding and staying near to God. We pray for God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus poured out his heart before his father and God was faithful to answer these prayers. Jesus prayed, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. He wanted God to be glorified. So there's a theme in these chapters in John 13 through 17 of prayer. Of coming before the Lord and asking him for help. Asking him for help in our time of need. Asking him for help to love others. Asking for, for oneness with God, oneness with others. Prayer is a means of abiding. Prayer is how we connect with God, how we stay connected with God. Prayer is how we, we ask for, for the heart of God in heaven to, be, to come into this world, for, for his love to come into us, to flow into us so that we can love others. Prayer is a lifeline of communication between us and God. Ask yourself that question. Why does Jesus have this emphasis on prayer in these chapters? Why is it so important to him? And then we see him modeling prayer. Why? It's how we draw near to God. It's how we stay close to him. It is how we abide in the Lord. When his word abides in us, we ask for whatever we wish. We talked about this last week. His word has a transforming effect on our lives. And then we go to the father and we ask for things that that God would want us to ask for. And then he grants an answer to those prayers. And as God answers our prayers, our joy overflows as we see him working. God answers your prayers. Something that you can do to keep track of your prayers, you can write them down. I have a, I have a journal where I just, I just keep track of my prayers. I just list them out. Prayer's difficult for me. It's hard for me to focus. But I know that from these, these verses that it's, a, it's, a, it's an emphasis in these, in these final 
in this final conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. I know it's an important means of abiding with the Lord. So I'll write down those prayer requests and then I go back and I review those prayer requests. And it's amazing to see how God answers those prayers. It's amazing to see how God will transform your prayers as you read and abide and you study his word and your prayers begin to reflect his heart. See, the promise of Jesus in John 15, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is not just some blanket promise that you can just pick things out of the air and just ask God for whatever you wish for. First, we abide, right? He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish. You must abide in the word. But when you're asking God for the things that God wants to do, he will do those things. He wants to do those things. He wants us to pray to him and he wants to answer our prayers. The third theme in these in these five in these five chapters is loving one another or loving all mankind. Go back to chapter 13. Verse one. It says now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That is, he loved them to the greatest degree possible, to the fullest extent. That's what the word means there. The end, the the telos. In Greek, it's the telos or the end or the fullest. He loved them to the fullest. It says, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose up from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin and he began to wipe his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So he washes his disciples' feet. He shows the greatest degree of love possible by serving these men who are unworthy to be served and by loving them and giving his life for them. Drop down to verse 21 through 23. And you'll see the tenderness of Jesus toward his disciples. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. He testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. And one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. If you look there, you might have a footnote there at the literal translation of that. In the Greek, it says that one of his disciples was in the bosom of Jesus. He was right up against him. That's a picture of abiding. That's a picture of this tender relationship with Jesus. In verse 23, it says, One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table. And Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? See that picture, that tender picture of abiding. 
In verse 17, in verse 34 of 13. In verse 34, it says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In chapter 15, verses 12 and 13, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. In verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. It's the whole point, the purpose of the, the passage about abiding was so that we would love one another, Jesus says. In verses 20 through 23, of chapter 17. Let's go over to chapter 17. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus wants us to be one. Why? So that the world may believe. He wants the world to believe. In verse 26, he says, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. He makes his his name known and continues to make it known. So the love with which he loves may be in us. So there's a great theme of love in these chapters as well. And Jesus intends for us to love one another. The whole purpose of the vine illustration, that we would stay connected to him so that we might love one another. And he wants us to be in him and him to be in us and for us all to be perfectly one so that the world might believe that he sent us. And so that the world might know that he sent him and love them even as he has loved us. So the question is, are we loving one another? How can we best love and serve those around us? May the Lord give us eyes to see. And feet to move to where the action is and hands to serve him. In John 12, 26, Jesus said, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. His desire for us is to know him, to abide in him. And for his love to come into our lives, to flow into our lives. And for that love to flow out into the world and for us to love one another in the church, but also those in the world that don't know him. Two ways that that we could love as a body. One way, one to to love the people in our church. Think about the, uh, the S team that we have. 
in our, in our body. And maybe you think, well, I, I don't really, I'm not a part of the S team, so I don't really need to reach out to those people. But here's a question when it comes to loving and to abiding in love and loving others in the body. What can you do to support the S team? Maybe you're not on the front lines, but what could you do to love our team? Maybe you could go out with them sometime. Maybe you're not a full-time worker with them, but maybe you could go out with them sometime to even see what they do and support them. Maybe you could reconsider joining the team or recommit yourself to the team if you're on it. You know, it's occurred to me this past week as I was thinking about ways to love the body that, that we love our sent out ones. Do we not? Every Wednesday night at the end of the, at the, end of the month, we have, a, we have a night where we reach out to one of our, our, our missionaries on the field to see how they're doing so that we can pray for them, so we can support them. But if you think about it, we really don't do that for the people from our own church that we have commissioned and sent out. We don't really think about the S team. We kind of forget about them. Don't forget them. Pray for them. As you're abiding, pray for the S team. That God would give them success. And guess what? When he does, your joy will be full. When their joy is complete, and when those people come into the kingdom, and every tribe and every tongue is represented, your joy is going to be full. As we love others, as we pray, as we abide, see how your joy is made full, how God begins to answer our prayers. Don't forget the S team. Don't forget the A team. Don't forget the B team. Don't forget the D team and the E team. And the... Oh, we'll get them all here eventually. <laughs> the E team, the Ethiopian team. Okay, anyway. We don't have that one yet, but we will maybe. Don't forget our teams. Pray, love, encourage, support. Go out with them. I was convicted about this this last week. Joseph, I, I, I just, it was by accident. I wish I could say I did it on purpose. It was intentional, but it was by accident. We were having a, 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 a meeting, an elders meeting. It was lunchtime. I said, well, why don't we go out to eat? We'll go out to eat at one of these these, these restaurants in town. I got to go and see Joseph in his element. I got to see him speaking and, and speaking the language of these people. Like having conversation with them in their language. I'm like, what? I know he's not fluent in that language, but the bits and pieces of conversation that they were speaking back and forth, he, he could converse. It's amazing. He had connected. I saw one of the S people who had received a Bible just this past week asking Joseph questions about it. Joseph said that's unheard of, that he would be that bold in that setting to ask a question openly like that. I got to go into another shop and, and have a conversation with the guy about the gospel. He's the one who asked me, uh, you know, what's your purpose? Why are you even here? If God's already forgiven your sins, why are you still here? I got to, uh, you know, connect with him and preach the gospel. Just to be a part of that effort. It made, me, it, let, it made me leave the conversation and go, maybe I should be a part of the S team. Not because I'm so good at it or anything, but because like they need help. They need support. Why, why, why not? Why not me? Why not you? What about the block party coming up? 
You know, I pray that as we go out this next weekend that the world will see that we love one another. Jesus said that all the world will see that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. Will it be evident, Central Baptist Church, when we go out on Saturday that we love each other? Will it be evident that we're kind to each other? That we actually like being around each other? Sometimes the church, you know, you can't tell the people really like being around each other. Now, they like to come to church because they know they should do that, right? But when church is over, you can tell whether a church likes to be around each other or not, right? How long do they stick around? If you stick around today after the service and you don't bolt for the door, you're going to see something in this room that's, uh, that's amazing. That tells you that these people are the disciples of Jesus. They actually like being around each other. They actually like each other. They love one another. That's how you know if we are the disciples of Jesus, by the way that we love. We actually like being around each other. <laughs> I go to the same church, but I can't stand that guy. No, that's not how it should be. No, we love each other. We're different from one another. Have you noticed that? We're different from each other. But we love each other. We love each other. I think when the world comes into Central Baptist, they, sh- they should just be confused. Like, these people are all really different from each other. There's old people, there's young people, there's black people, there's white people, there's Hispanics. But they all get along. And they all hang out. And they all have dinner in their homes. And they all sacrifice and meet each other's needs. What in the world is going on in that place? It should be confusing. You go outside of the doors of the church, what do you see? Segregation. Cultural bias. Prejudice. Stereotypes, rioting, broken families, dysfunction. What do you see in the church? You should see the opposite of all those things. Why? Because this church abides in the presence of God. And because his love is flowing down into us and through us and out to one another and to the world. It's amazing. It glorifies God. It's awesome. I hope at the block party people can see that we're not stuck up or that we don't stick together in our cliques, but that we're outward focused, that we care about them. I hope they see that we stay to the end and clean up. I hope that as, as, as we're at the black part, the, the black part, the block party, I hope it's a black party. I hope it's a white party. I hope it's everybody. I hope we're all there. I do. I hope that at the party, if we see our people speaking to someone who's not yet a believer, that we'll be praying for that conversation. We can love one another. We can support each other. We can say, oh man, there's... There's Bianca. She's having a conversation over there with somebody that's not, that we don't know if they're a believer. We're going to pray for that conversation. We're going to love one another. We're going to support each other. We're going to lift each other up. We're going to hold each other up in prayer. I hope at the block party, the world can tell that we love them by the way that we take a genuine interest in the people that we meet. Be ready when you go to the block party, not just to, to, to serve, but to also connect and communicate. How long have you lived in Kansas City? What are your plans for the rest of the summer? 
Have some questions ready so that you can jump into conversations and get, get the conversation going so that you can get to know people, so that you can get to connect with people. And don't worry, in the course of that conversation, God will open doors for you through your abiding to make him known. Before we close today, I want us to look at John 15 because there's something that that we need to understand about abiding. Abiding does not guarantee worldly comforts or success. I'm not telling you today that if you abide in Christ, if you believe in Jesus, that all your problems are going to go away. Your problems could become much more severe and much harder. Oftentimes, abiding takes you straight into the storms, right into the midst of suffering. Think about it. If you don't abide, you can just hang back. You can be safe. You can be comfortable. You can keep all your money to yourself. Abiding means that you lay down your life for others, that you sacrifice, that you love, that you look for opportunities where you're needed and you go and you serve. Because where Jesus is, there his servants will be also. We don't want Jesus to be over here trying to serve by himself. We want to go join him in the effort. And when you go and you serve with Jesus, you're going to suffer in the way that he did. And he warns us about that in John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. The world would accept you. The world would want you to come to its parties. It would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Now, if they kept my word, they will keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Verse 23, whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They have hated me without a cause. Brothers and sisters, if you abide well, if you believe and follow Jesus, you will suffer. You will be rejected. You will be hated. You will tell, have people tell you point blank, I, I don't care. I don't care about the gospel. I don't care about the Bible. I don't want to have anything to do with this. So abiding doesn't guarantee worldly comforts or success. But remember this, brothers and sisters, remember this. Write this down, please. When you are being tested, be patient. The Bible says weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Through your abiding, joy will come. When you abide, you can expect to suffer. As long as we live in this flesh, in this fallen world, we're going to suffer. Abiding does not mean that every day is going to be sunny degrees, uh, 70 and sunny and 70 degrees. I wish that it did. But you're going to be tested. You're going to be pushed. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to suffer. It's part of the Christian life. Anybody who tells you that the Christian life doesn't involve suffering is lying to you. In this world, we will have tribulation. 
But this is where we can be confident because Jesus has overcome the world. John 17, 33. Jesus said, I, I tell you these things that in me you may have peace. That in me, that abiding in me, you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, you have suffering. But take heart, be confident, take courage. He says, I have overcome the world. And if you abide in me, you will too. So we have the comfort of his promise. What's the alternative to abiding? It's hate and death. Whoever hates me hates my father also. John 15, 23. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. If you don't love God, if you don't love the Father, then your, your only other alternative is to, to just hate and to die. Abiding leads to loving. But if we're severed from the branch, there is no way possible that we can love. We have to have God's love flowing through us in order to love other people. So abiding, brothers and sisters, abiding is, it is our purpose. It is why we're here. We are here to know Christ and to make him known. This is why we get out of bed in the mornings. This is why we try to go to bed on time so we can wake up and spend time with God. This is why we fast. This is why we pray and seek God. This is why we read books to deepen our relationship with God. This is why we fellowship with God's people so that we might be one, so that we might abide. This is what we hope to talk to other people about when we have conversations with people who don't know Jesus. And this is what God desires to teach us. Turn back in your Bibles to Psalm 72 and I'll read this to you and we'll close with this. You're in 72, go to Psalm 73. I always get these two mixed up. So, Psalm 73, verse 21. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far off from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. You see the heart of abiding in those verses? As for me, it is good to be near God. 
That's what abiding is, to be near God, to stay close to him. I have made the Lord God my refuge. He is my safe place, not this world, but he in his presence. I seek him at all times. Why? So that I may tell of all his wonderful works as he continues to work in my life. This is the heart of abiding. This is my prayer for the church, Central Baptist, that we would abide in Christ, that we would stay near to him. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who's living in us, through prayer, through loving others, that we would fulfill our purpose and that God's life would flow into ours and we would be his people marked by that life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, God, for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for these final chapters in John where we see just this conversation unfolding between Jesus and his disciples. We see him exhorting his disciples to abide deeply until the the life of God flows into us. Eternal life is this, to know the Father in Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. God, if there's anyone here today that does not know you, that is not connected to you, that is not abiding in you, God, I pray that right now you would show them the future, that if they are severed from the vine, that they will be picked up like a branch that is just thrown into the fire, that is judged according to your righteous law. God, none of us can keep that law. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned against you. We've all taken control of our lives. We've all stolen some of your authority. But Lord, we need to give that back. We need to repent. We need to trust in the Savior. God, we thank you that your word in these chapters shows us how to abide. It shows us the necessity of it, the need for it. God, we thank you for the emphasis on prayer. And that if we want your life flowing into us, if we want your kingdom to come and your will to be done, we must continually seek you in prayer so that our fruit will abide, so that our fruit will remain. And God, finally, that our lives would be so full of the Spirit of God that we would be enabled and empowered to love others around us, whether it's people in the church or people in the world who do not know you. God, that your love would compel us, that your love would carry us along, that your love would empower us, that you would give us the strength to love people. God, that you would give us the love and the strength and the conviction to deny ourselves and to live for you and your glory the way that Jesus did. God, we confess that we so often take our eyes off of you. We so often fail to abide. We so often fail to believe and trust and receive the power and the grace to love others. But Jesus said that he made known the name of the Father to his disciples and he would continue to make his name known to his disciples so that they would love one another. God, we need Jesus today to make your name known in our hearts. We need Jesus to reveal the Father's love to us so that we can have the same heart 
as our Father, God, so that we can love others the way that you do. That is how the world will believe. That is how the world will know. That is how the world can be saved. It is through your love. It is through the continual revelation of Jesus Christ through the Spirit to his people that abide in the word. God, help us. Help us to abide. Help us to stay close. Lord, we had trials this last week. Many of us ran out of, ran out of steam. <laughs> we, we gave up in the moment. We sinned. We took our eyes off you. We stopped praying. We stopped abiding. We stopped trusting. God, forgive us for the times that we fell short this week. God, many of us faced trials and they just, they, they lasted so long, God, that we, we just, we ran out of, <laughs> we ran out of steam. God, we forgot that we have to be patient in tribulation. We have to wait for the test to be over and for the joy to come and for the, for the blessing and the reward of being faithful in a trial to come. God, I pray that we would be a people that don't give up early in our trials. God, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for our word. I pray that Central Baptist Church would, have, would abide in the vine. In Jesus' name, amen.